Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you. I want to say first off, say thanks to Corey for last week. He, I was gone seeing family and for Justin carrying the water for worship when Keith was gone. And it's nice to be able to have those kinds of people uh, that can step in for us. Uh, it's 2019. How many of you felt like Christmas was like here and gone? Man, it was just flew by. I was, I, I loved every moment of it, but man, it just flew by. And I, I don't know, I don't have any way of stopping that. It, it just seemed like it flew by. We are starting, as we start into a new year, uh, if I felt like that as we launch into the new years, for some of you around here, you go, why, what is, what do we do? What's this church thing about? Why are we doing this weekend? Keith kind of alluded to it. Why do we do this weekend and week out? Why are we here? What are we to be about? What are the things that we should be about? And so I felt like as we launch into 2019, for, for the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about the DNA of PBC. Plant, grow, multiply. Why are we here doing what we do week in and week out? We kind of talked about that. You saw the video that the church isn't just the physical building and all the ancillary things that happen in here. It's we make up the church. It's not a building. And we are the people that make up the church, make it happen each week. So if you've got your Bibles, you need to go to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to be there in just a few minutes. But Galatians chapter 2 is, uh, in particular, verse 21, is the theme around the word plant. And we'll unpack that here in just a moment. But I felt like I needed to give you a quick little, hey, this is, this is us. This is why we're here. This is what we do. Whether you know it or not, if you take uh, PBC 101 or, or you've been here a long time, you know that a group of people saw a need in Derby way back in the 50s. I wasn't even born back then. I can actually say that. I'm older, but not yet. There we go. But they, they felt like there, was, there needed to be a Southern Baptist work in the Derby community back in the day. And so they met on at 810 North Kokomo, which is right over here, on Sunday, September 5th, 1954, 26 interested people determined to get a church started in this community. And now we sit here as a recipient of a group of people that had a vision from God that a church work needed to get going in this area. And I, I say this a lot in PBC 101 because I love how the church works. Because Sharon Baptist helped start this church. And this church helped start Tyler Road. And there's this nice little circle that goes around. And Olivet Baptist Church helped start Sharon Baptist Church. It's a cool thing to see when people see the church can have an impacting in our community and in the Wichita, greater Wichita area. And so if you ever wonder, like, why are we do what we do? Why are some of the ministries in play that we do? We say this in our PBC 101 says, why are we here? Pleasantview Baptist Church exists to help plant others in Christ. That means a relationship, help people grow in Christ and multiply the message of Christ to the world around us. That's why you see in the back, we kind of go with the, the, the seed, the plant and the dandelion. If those of you have dandelions, they just multiply like crazy. And so we talk about that. 
And so we're going to be looking at that for the next few weeks. Like, why are we here? What do we do? Why are we doing the things we do week in and week out? And so I hope this helps you understand. And one of the things it does, it helps us to stay on track that whenever we're doing something, does it fit under one of those three things? And obviously they they can cross over. But C.S. Lewis had a really great quote about the church. He said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ and make them little Christ. That's a church. The church in itself should be drawing people in and helping them to be like Christ, to look like Christ in their life and in all shapes and form. Well, for some of you, you how many of you grew up in church? You were born going to church. Okay, a lot of you. How many of you, that wasn't so much the case? You Maybe just recently. Okay, so a chunk of you, it can go either way. I was one of those, I grew up going to church. My parents took me to church as far back as I can remember. I, I can remember as a second grader sitting in a second grade Sunday school class and telling the teacher that I no longer needed to go to Sunday school because I had heard the story she was about to tell us. <laughs> How many of you have been there? You know, it's funny because that story can be, but I remember, and she just kind of smiled at me, and she's like, yeah, you can just sit down. (laughs) But it's funny because church had a profound impact on me because the people that God put in it weren't perfect people, but they were people trying to live for God, trying to grow, trying to serve, trying to figure out their own faith journey. And I can think back on all these different people growing up. I spent a good chunk of my life at Sharon Baptist growing up. My parents moved here in 1974 from Orlando, Florida, and we landed at Sharon in 1974, and I left there uh, starting in 1990, 91, somewhere there. So I was there a long time. So it was during a pretty significant influence in my life. I came to faith there. Uh, I started serving there. Uh, I had a call of ministry to there. So that church is very dear to me because it had a lot of, it had a lot of influence in my life. And whether it was my parents or youth volunteers or pastors or youth pastors or worship leaders or deacons or missionaries, they all had an impact on me. And so the church had a significant impact on me growing up all the way through my life. And so church for me is, is, is important. Not just because we come in here and do this every Sunday, but because of the interactions, the relationships. If you notice the video, one of the things is this this idea that you share life with people. You engage with people. You worship in here. You have hopefully in a life group. Corey talked about that. That if this is the only thing you do, it's not enough. You are wired for more if you understand that. You are wired for more to be in a life group, to be involved in other ministries, to, and I'm not talking about just filling your plate just because. I don't want you over busy. That's the last thing God wants, and that's the last thing I want. But I also think that there's more if this is it. God's wired you for more. And I, and I give every person who takes PBC 101, I give them a puzzle piece saying there's more than, and your piece is important. And so, as you think about the next three weeks, I mean, today we're talking particularly about do you have a relationship with Christ? And that one of the things that we do here is to help people come to faith in Christ. And it's not just my job, it's our job that, man, given an opportunity to tell somebody or talk to somebody about Jesus is, is awesome. And so with that as our backdrop, um, 
I, I, I didn't become school teacher, but every now and then you got to use a visual. So I'm going to start this and then I'm going to leave it for a little while. Okay. So I'm going to do this thing here and then I'm going to do this over here. Okay. And this represents us and this represents God. Okay. So we're going to leave that there for a little while. So you can kind of gnaw on that. If you grew up in church, you kind of go, okay, I think I know where he's going with this. If you didn't grow in church, just go, wow. Okay. Those are two boxes. And I don't really know where he's going with that, but that's okay. Let me give you a little backdrop. Okay. Galatians, we did this. Uh, we did, we went through Galatians about a, about two years ago, actually. We went and just kind of pulled it apart. And Paul was going back through and working with the church trying to help them because church life how many of you had a an experience in church life that just wasn't great okay chunk of you um church is funny because sometimes well-meaning people can layer up on you things that weren't biblical at all they can add requirements they can put expectations and they start to, they want to help the gospel and actually hurting the gospel. Instead of saying, Jesus is the way, they say, Jesus is the way and. Jesus is the way but. And so what was happening is, as Paul was seeing this happening, even with the disciples, Jesus' original crew. We're going to see that here in just a second. And one of those things that was highly valued was a thing called circumcision with men, with boys. And so circumcision was an important Jewish rite handed down from the days of Abraham. This goes all the way back into Genesis, Genesis 17 to be specific. Males were normally circumcised on the eighth day. Submitting to circumcision meant accepting, accepting and obeying the whole Jewish law. And this was a kind of a rite of passage. And the Jews really held this, and to be honest, probably in a little bit of an idol kind of format. They held it that high. That if you weren't circumcising, you really weren't of, of, the, of the Jewish faith, and there was an issue. And then, in, and then you add to that another thing called legalism. And I found this really good definition of that. The belief that I can become holy and please God by obeying laws is measuring spirituality by a list of do's and don'ts. It judges by the outward and not by the inward. Legalists are extremely hard on other people, critically, unloving and unforgiving. Legalists fail to understand how law and grace work together. You've heard me say a lot of times, the law was designed to point you to the fact you cannot save yourself. You cannot earn it. You cannot do enough things right. It was to point you that I need help. And Jesus is going, that's me. And Paul is hearing that the church of Galatia was having this problem that they were pouring on saying, well, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this and you've got to do this. And he was like, we need to pump the brakes here a little bit because you're adding all of this on and then it's, it's, it's really going to take away what the gospel was meant to do. And this third thing I just love, God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance. But in a deepening relationship with him. See, God doesn't God is not wowed by your worship. God is not wowed by how much Bible you know or how nice you are or how, he he is he he relishes the relationship with us. The the relationship that is us that's not perfect, is it? 
uh, my, one of my things this year is uh, um, I've decided I'm, I'm a bit like Keith. I'm reading through just one book of the Bible and I'm reading through Proverbs very slowly, very slowly. And one of the things right out of the chute that I wrote down in my journal this year, I'm not a journaling guy, but I've decided it needs to be a discipline I need to do better. And so I've decided to journal some. And right at the top, and I'm going to keep this in front of me for all year, is that God requires a quietness with Him. And I need to seek that more often because quietness is not easy. And so God relishes the relationship with you, not how you can dazzle Him. Okay? Not how well you follow laws and all that kind of stuff. He's like, I, I, I relish the relationship with you. I love when you can bring your true self to me. I love when you and I can unpack where you really are. And so that you're not hiding and trying to say, well, I'm not really that way, God. And God's like, yeah, you are. Let's talk. So with that as the backdrop, Paul is coming back. And so we're going to start in verse uh, 1 of, 20, of Galatians 2. It says, Then, after 14 years, I went back up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of the revolution and sent before them privately about those who seemed to be influential. He goes, I'm going to talk to the people who seem to be influential and kind of just let's chat. Let's kind of see where things are. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. He goes, I want to make sure that I'm on the right track. And I want to make sure that you are too. Verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Whoa, hang on. See, what was happening was that everybody was thinking that for you to be of true faith, you had to be circumcised. Jew, Greek, Jew, Gentile. And he wasn't. So they were thinking, can he really have adequate faith? So look what happens in verse 4. But yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. I'm going to get to this in just a second. Let's finish verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Isn't it crazy that we could be in church... And that somebody could say, yeah, Jesus is great, but here's some other things you need to be doing. Yeah, Jesus is great, but let's go ahead and get some boxes checked off here. Let's go ahead and do this. So, Paul recognized there's some guys that came in to spy. How weird is that? Just think about that for just a second. Um, We need to just see if those guys are really, what, what, what gospel are they teaching here? So, what was happening was they were teaching that, okay, circumcision rule following, all those things you need to do. So, I don't know about you, but that describes to me, I had better build something. Okay? You can't see that, but it says me. I had better do something here. And so what he was saying was, is you better build, you better build this bridge between you and God. Okay? And what was happening is these guys were coming in saying, whoa, you know, um, you're not teaching, you're, you're teaching Jesus, but the circumcision piece is a, big, is a big deal for us. And I wrote this thought down. I was looking through my stuff this morning and I was thinking through just the first six verses and something struck me. Anything plus the gospel is slavery. 
anything plus. When you have to add to the gospel, we're in trouble. The gospel takes care of itself. The gospel is enough. And so what they were saying is the gospel isn't enough. So we need to build. We need to help. We need to do our part. And so they were really pushing for that. They were like, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow all these rules. And so they were saying, you know, you get that piece done and you get the next part. And again, let me put this little arrow here. So far, this bridge is about what I do, not what's been done. And Paul is emphatically saying, look, circumcision I get is important. Following the rules are valuable because they should point you to the fact that you need Jesus and you need his grace. But if you add anything to the gospel, then it becomes something else. It becomes just like what, what Paul says here. It can become slavery. You're then adding a bunch of rules that I can't really follow. What we want to be about here is pointing you to the saving knowledge of Jesus in your life and allowing Him to work and massage your soul so that you look more like Him than you did a year ago. So let's keep reading verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what we were making is no difference to me, God, because God shows no partiality to those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. He says, God's not... God's not, um, if you're acting spiritual, you, I mean, God's not going to go, oh, I need to be around that person more because they're of influence. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter from his uh, apostolic mystery to the circumcised worked also through me for the mind of the Gentiles. He says, God was using both of us to reach a group of people. Either way, it was working. And we, weren't, we were not being so rigid that, okay, if you're circumcised, it's great. But if you're not circumcised, because what was happening is people were drawing a hard line in the sand saying, if you're not circumcised, you're really not true to the faith. You really can't be. You really can't be. And that's, that's hard. And so it's interesting, verse 9, he says, And when James and Caiaphas and John, Caiaphas being Peter, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they kind of set up this ministry, this mission idea. They saw that I was being accurate to the things of God, to the, what Jesus had done on the cross, and they commissioned me to go and tell others about. And they went to the circumcised, which would have been to the Jews, and I went to the Gentiles. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? The church was growing. The church was reaching a group of people that didn't think they could. And so everything, I mean, it sounds like a good plan to me. I mean, okay. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. There's something about doing that. But isn't it, isn't it our tension? Isn't it our tension we gravitate towards rules. Our culture has rules. Has rules of, uh, you have rules in school, you have rules at work, you have rules in society, we have rules at home, we have rules in our marriages, our parenting, we have rules about our finances, we have rules everywhere. And those rules, though valuable in church culture, 
were purely designed to show you that you could not save yourself. They were guardrails to point you to the fact you needed Jesus. And yet we, sit, we typically gravitate towards rules because they're measurable. We gravitate towards rules because we can check off a box. Well, I don't do this or I do that. And we can mark ourselves pretty well with that. We like to do that. Uh, rules are funny because being a rule follower, we, none of us in this room, would, uh, none of us would want to be classified as rule followers. Not a one of us. And yet here we are, the church in its infancy was already struggling with rule following. John Stott said this, it says, If there is only one gospel in the New Testament, there is only one gospel for the church. The gospel has not changed with the changing of centuries. The gospel hasn't changed, but yet somehow we want to add to it. We want to help it. We want to make sure it's relevant. Or, uh, no, the gospel works. It really does. And, and Paul was saying, guys, you're making it harder, not easier. You're asking people to build on their own. So let's keep reading verse 11. But when Caiaphas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is interesting because Peter was one of the main guys of, of disciples. And here Paul and him are having a discussion. And Paul is calling him out. And rightfully so. Because look what happens in verse 12 and 13. For before certain men came, uh, before certain men came from G James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came to when, they, when he came to draw back and separate himself, fearing the circumcision party. He says he was hanging out with Gentiles, but he heard the Jews were coming. He's like, whoa, I better back up a little bit. I better, not, I better not be seen too close to those people because they're not exactly like us. And let me just tell you, if you grew up in an environment where a church backed away from you because maybe you went through I mean I've shared this story you know in 1974 my, my parents met another couple and they were really got connected and and I don't know 1975 1976 that couple went through a very painful public divorce in our church and the husband left the wife for another woman but the wife was left raising three kids on her own and the church didn't do a great job of helping her. Matter of fact, it kind of left her to her own. And it hurts me to think about people like that who the church just didn't do a good job. And we're not ever going to be perfect, so let me just help you there. I'm not going to be. But to pull back Man, I mean, Paul had a right to go to, to he had a right to go to Peter because the, the I, I use the term ripple effect was significant. That Peter had a voice. Peter had impact. Peter had a responsibility. People looked at Peter as a pillar. Paul said he was. And he says, they saw him hanging out with those people and said, well, I better back up. I don't want them to see me too close to those people. And he, and he says that he pulled away from them. Can you, imagine, can you imagine how the Gentiles must have felt? They were having dinner at one moment. And then the next thing you know, Peter's like, well, you know, I'm just going to move over here. I don't want to be seen too close to you. Let 
So there were two ripple effects that happened here. He had a ripple effect with the Gentiles, which is huge. Okay? Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Look at the ripple effect of that. You had Paul going, oh, I don't want to be seen too close to the Gentiles because they're not fully like us. And then the ramifications of that were rippling out. And Paul was going, Paul was telling Peter, Peter, you can't do this. We're all in this together. We're all part of the same gospel. The Jewish gospel isn't better than the Gentile gospel. It's the same gospel. And we can't do that as the church. My, my, my desire as your pastor is that we teach the same gospel consistently. Not a better gospel than any other church, but the same gospel that God gives us clearly. That Jesus is the way and the only way. His gospel works. What he did on the cross is enough. You don't have to help it. You just have to accept it. And so many were led away. Verse 14. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Caiaphas before them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? It's like you can't have it both ways here, Peter. You can't be one way and then the other way. It doesn't work that way. And so we start to shift into this. Paul starts to shift into this idea of being justified. And if you're looking at a great word, justification. Justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through their faith in Jesus. So verse 15, look at what it says. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by through faith in Christ. Paul is saying, I got to help you out here. You can't do this. You can't bridge that gap. You can't do it on your own. You can't build a cross. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because even though I made this chasm relatively short, the chasm between us and God until Christ was resurrected was enormous. We can't do it on our own. I can't do it on my own. I can't based on church life, good works, knowledge of the Bible, all those things. I can't do it. And so Paul says real clearly, go back and read and yet we know that a person is justified by works of the law, but, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith. It's like the justification comes through our faith in Christ, not the other way around. We get the justification because of the relationship, not the other way. And so justification by faith in Christ and not of works of the law because by works of the law, no one is justified. Look at what he says. He goes, no one is justified based on following a bunch of rules. Rule following is just easier for us because it's measurable. It just is. It's a temptation. Satan loves rule followers because you can just check the box. You can just check the box. He goes, but no one, Paul says clearly, no one's justified by it. Verse 17, but if 
our endeavor is to be justified in Christ, I love the word in, we too will be found to be sinners in, in Christ. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though, I, for though the law, I had died to the law, so that I might live, I might live to God. He's like, I am dying to the law because the law can't save me. The law can't get me to where I want to be. And so we get to this theme verse that we operate under here at PBC. And Paul said these words so eloquently in verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We want to be about that here. And so what happened on that moment is that Paul recognized that he couldn't do it, but he recognized... Well, let me back that up because that will make a step and that won't work. Let's do this this way. Jesus made the bridge. A bridge that I can't make and because the chasm of sin in my life is so vast he could, he could stretch out his arms from my end to God's end and bridge that gap for us. And Paul was telling us that. Paul was saying, I can bridge the gap that is caused by the sin. Sin is the gap. Jesus is the bridge. And Paul is telling us that in verse 20. I have been crucified. I mean, I am dead to myself. This, this is the way I used to be. And if you know anything about Paul, he was a murderer of the early Christians. He was a rule follower. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, that, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for its righteousness were through the law. Then Christ died for no, no purpose. He is saying, look, if I could get righteousness through rule following, then Jesus died in vain. There's no point. Then what he did means nothing. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus dying on the cross means everything to us. And what I want to be about as the pastor of this church and as this church is that we're pointing people that if they don't have a relationship with Christ, that they need one. And here's how. And that they can't get there by just showing up here every Sunday. Can that help you? I hope it does. But eventually, you got to take a step. And you've got to say, I can't get there on my own. Jesus can make that happen. Jesus can make that happen. And see, when I grew up with the church I grew up at, Sharon, I, I, my pastor, Ken Emerson, led, was preaching on a Sunday night. It was not a big, it was not a, any kind of special thing. But I, I remember that God specifically calling me as a 17-year-old young man that I needed Jesus, even though I had grown up in church. And that started my journey. That started my journey. And my pastor didn't pour on a whole bunch of, you need to do these and that kind of thing. The church isn't perfect, let's be honest, because it's, we're in this, if, if, if it were perfect, 
this will be awesome. But we have to work within the confines of all of us. And God knew that and was willing to do that. And Paul is saying, look guys, don't let your justification be based on rules because it will never be enough. It will never be enough. You will never earn it. You'll never get there. There is so much rest in knowing that what Jesus did for you on the cross is enough. And when you really get that, the relationship piece can get a whole lot more enjoyable. But man, if you're just going, man, am I good enough? Man, I mean, if you're constantly running around in 2019, does does Jesus grade on a curve? I hope he does. No, the cross is enough. He took care of it. If you're taking notes, let me give you these quick things real quick. Our greatest need is justification. You can write these, they're on your place, you can write them down. Our greatest need is justification. It only comes through Christ. Justification is not by works, but through faith in Christ. Not trusting in God, Christ, because of self-trust is an insult to both the grace of God and to the cross of Christ. Not trusting in Christ because of self-trust. See, Paul was saying, look, if you're trusting in your own faith, then you won't really need God. You won't. And how do I know that? It's because people who, who think they can get there on their own, they don't typically go to church. They don't typically really allow God access to every area of their life. They think, I can just, I can kind of get there. I'll, I'll just kind of navigate it. I'll just kind of get there on my own. And when you have self-trust and not trust in God, you typically don't trust Him fully. The last one is this, trusting in Christ and being united with Him is altogether a new life. And Paul said that. See, this new life, it, it isn't, let me just help you make sure you understand. Christ doesn't want you just to add church to your life. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. An ongoing, breathing, growing relationship. We're going to talk about that next week. See, He wants you to be growing. And He doesn't need you. See, here's where, here's where the comparison thing goes. Well, I need to be going, I need to be as spiritual as so-and-so. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, oh, I just need to be like them? No. Be like Jesus. Start there. Use Him as your, as your, as your base. Take steps. If you're like Keith and I, and you're doing a New Year's thing, if you miss a couple of days, don't sweat it. Don't freak out. Don't go, uh, because you know what Satan will want to do? How can you be a Christ follower if you're not even praying and reading God's Word? He's going to throw that right in your face. Just start. Just keep plowing. Just keep going. I, um, I got a just because of schedule and adoption and all that kind of stuff, I, I read up my membership at the DRC and I went up Thursday and I knew I hadn't been in a while. And those of you that have never, if you, if you take a break from working out, your body doesn't like to talk to you for a few days after that. How many of you have ever done that? I know that tomorrow for me is really crucial. Because I worked out fairly hard on Thursday. Friday, my body and I weren't on speaking terms uh, because it didn't like what was happening. But I know tomorrow is really important because I feel pretty good today. And I know that I need to make sure that I start to build tomorrow. Don't go crazy. Don't do anything stupid. But I know that I need to keep doing. Because if I miss for several days... I'm going to be in the same boat on Thursday and Friday. Am I right? Spiritual, same way, guys. When God called us to be the church, He calls you to keep taking steps. Keep taking steps. Get plugged in. Get involved. Jump into a life group. Dig into my word. 
Dig into my word. Keep doing. The new life that he's called you to means you've got to leave some stuff behind. You've got to let go. I love this because Paul was able to say verse 20 so confidently. How do we know this? Because look what Romans said in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it has the power of God, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. He said, I know that the power of the gospel works. You know why? It's because it had radically transformed his life. And you know what he's saying to all of us this morning? If it'll change my life, it can do something for you. And he says the gospel works because it did something for me. And that's why he was able to say it so confidently that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the faith I live, I live through him. And the only way he can say that is because he saw what it did to him specifically, personally, and publicly. Because if you remember the disciples, when they, he first came to them and said, hey, I want to be one of your guys, they were like, get away from me, evil one. You know, they were really afraid of him because they thought he was trying to infiltrate them for the sole purpose of just destroying their ministry. And so you get to these questions. How are we righteous before God? How are we righteous before God? Well, it's really one simple thing. Only by faith in Christ. Only by faith in Christ. This works when it's by faith in Christ. But if you try to take, if you try to build this wall, this thing here on your own, first off, it's exhausting. Second off, you can't bridge the chasm between us and God because of our sin. And, and here's, here's what I know about people because I know this about myself. Well, my chasm isn't as bad as so-and-so's, Danny. Let me just really help you out. Your chasm's just as big as mine. Okay, I'm just going to help you. Your chasm between you and God. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, you cannot build the bridge. It's, you don't have the materials. You don't have the time. You don't have the skill set. But Jesus does. Jesus said, I can do this for you if you'll just let me. You know the hard part about this? Why we're here is to help people to let Jesus do this. Because I can tell you in here that that's an important message. You're going to nod with me and agree with me and, and go, yay, Danny. But isn't surrendering to Jesus hard sometimes? Tell me it's not. There are people in this room going, yeah, I know, I know I'm not supposed to do that, God, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this a long time. I've given biblical counsel to people. And they go, yeah, Danny, I hear you, but I'm still going to do this anyway. See, part of what this does is saying, if you're going to be this new person in Christ, that means you've got to let go. You've got to surrender. You've got to say, your way, not my way. And that's not easy. And when we talk about church, we don't... I, I've been with you. I'll be four years. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'll be with you four years next month. And not everything we do here, you're going to go, I love that. But at the end of the day, if we're pointing people to Jesus, we're helping them grow, and we want to help multiply. We don't, we're not perfect at that, but I tell you what, as, as I love this church and I love doing what I get to do, I want to help people see that those things matter and that we get a, it's a privilege to do it. And I get to do this, and I get to tell people about Jesus. 
C.S. Lewis, I read that quote to you earlier, but you know there's a part two to it? Let me read it to you. It says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. If we are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Sobering words. All the bells and whistles that we do here, if we're not helping people find a relationship with God, helping them grow, and multiplying the message to the world around us, then it's pointless to do this week in and week out. But I am committed as your pastor that we do these things and do them well. I want us to be a church that people go, they're telling people about Jesus, they're helping people grow, and they're getting the message out to the world around us. And we're going to do that, the last one, in all shapes and sizes in the community this year. We want, to, we want the message to get out because that's where the people are, okay? Not everybody comes in here, and we want to help that. But if you do not have a relationship with God this morning, I, man, myself, Brad, Keith, Corey, there are other people in here too that could lead you and help you take a step because this is what one of the things we're going to be about at PBC. And it's not just 2019. We're always going to be about this. And some Sundays we'll be more emphatic about this and some Sundays maybe not quite so much, but we're always going to be pointing people to the fact they need Jesus, okay? I am excited about this this year. We have some wonderful sermon stuff throughout the year that I'm looking forward to. And we've got some really good stuff that I hope that will help people know that Jesus is the bridge between us and God. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for what your son did for us on the cross. And I pray, God, that there may be somebody in this room that they have tried to earn, they've tried to build, they've tried to check the the legal boxes off, whatever it was, and they're tired, they're weary, and they're uncertain. And maybe for them, God, this morning, what they need to do is have the courage to say, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I need to accept what Jesus did for me is enough and allow him to be the savior of my life. And God, if there is somebody in this room that needs to take that step, I pray that they would have the courage to come and talk to myself, Brad, Keith, and Corey. But it takes courage. It takes acknowledgement that we need you. And they may have been, they may have been going here for decades. They may be here for the first time. But I pray that they would do business with you, God. I pray for some of us in this room, God, that we would, we tend to, we tend to lean towards rule following and that's not what you called us to. The rules are there to point us to the fact that we need you. That's the only purpose of them. I pray, God, for freedom in you, that if we are crucified in you, we will know that freedom and that we won't be anxious or worried about have we done enough because you did enough for us. There may be some in this room that want to talk to us about calling PBC their home. And we would be honored to do that as well. Father, for the next few moments, I pray that we'll do business with you and have the courage to do so. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand.